So this morning, I um, contemplated for, for many, many days on what to address because I, my intention was to preach from Colossians and go forth, but um, since the passage kind of, I felt, was um, something that I felt that could, be, could wait till later, I, I feel that, you know, one of the things that we could reflect on or study today and really turn our minds to is uh, addressed in a sermon this morning is called Reflections on our faithful God, really turning our minds to who God is and reminding ourselves, not in a really a, a great, ex, a tremendous extent, but one that is going to remind us of three truths about Him. And so really, uh, one reason for this, for this type of reflection is during this, this time of year, Thanksgiving can be uh, very joyful as families get together and they spend time with family and friends, but it can also be some uh, of the most difficult times that, that people have in, in the season because loved ones die, and they no, they no, spouses die, and they're no longer around, and it is a very hurtful thing, and it's not sometimes a very lonely time of year. So, again, it's a great time of, of this time of year to reflect on our faithful God. Also, another reason is just all the, the cultural distractions, all of the things that um, revolve around the, the COVID situation, the, the political scene, and all that has um, wrapped up in it, and just the, the things that you can see in, in culture, the, the division and the disunity in the hearts and minds of people, ultimately those that um, live in rebellion against God, seeking to live after their own passions. This, again, is another reason we can turn and reflect on who God is and His, His faithfulness. And something also, too, is just life's difficulties. I mentioned some is, is death. And as you know, my, my mom passed or died in September of last year, and it has um, gone by very quickly. But, um, again, there's, there's others in, in this congregation where their family members have, have died. And this brings great heartache during this time. Illness, um, loss of, or potential loss of jobs, and again, loneliness. But again, this just ought to turn our hearts and our minds to remember who God is. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the reflections on our faithful God. Following this simple outline. The first is, our faithful God is true. He is true and the standard of truth. And the second is that our faithful God is just and righteous. He is the standard of what is right. And our faithful God is a God of peace. He is the one of order, of tranquility, functioning according to His will, according to His time. But first, our faithful God is true. Apart from what the world wants to acknowledge or manufacture as truth, God is truth. As you very well know, the culture in, in, in this world strives to, to dismantle God's Word and, and discredit it at, at, on, on every side. Men and women who seek after their own passions and their own desires. Yet that does not distinguish or dismantle what God has established in His Word and who He is, because God is, is truth. And you could say it in another way, the essence of truth is God. And the first item to uh, draw our hearts and our minds to, I'm going to be looking at several passages this morning, and you can try to, to keep up if you would like, but the intention of this is to not, as I said, do an exhaustive study, but to examine at least portions of this, you could say, mind shaft of truth and this, this, these wisdom and mind, these truths out of God's Word this morning. So, our faithful God is true, and this means that, first, that He is the true God. Jeremiah 10, verse 10 through 11 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. 
Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And some items to note from this, this passage is, is first to identify in, in verse 10, it says that He is the living God and He is the everlasting King. He is the living God, not one who is dead, not, not a mere statue, not something that is manufactured, not something that is whittled to made to, to worship. No, He is, he is living and also, He is everlasting, meaning He's from beginning to end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But He also, to, to draw out and to draw our minds to, is this contrast that Jeremiah presents here in Jeremiah 10 to these little g gods, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth. They will perish from all the earth, from under the heavens. Men and women have pursued idolatry from the beginning of the, the, as sin entered into this world, Genesis chapter 3. And they continue to do so today. But yet, here we have, and turn our minds to, this living, it's everlasting this true God. John 17, verse 3 says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Again, God is eternal. He has been and will be and will be forever. But a key aspect here that we want to at least turn our minds to briefly, is that John, in this gospel, says that this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Is, is knowing God. Who is this God that, that we ought to know? And how are we to know Him? Well, today we are going to see who this God is and how we ought to know Him. But also, I would say, too, the, the one thing to, to really contemplate in your mind, this majestic God would dare to reveal himself to sinful men who have sought to be rebellious and follow their own ways and to live for themselves. But God would care to reveal himself by his word, through Christ, and provide salvation and a way to not only be uh, adjoined to Him through Christ, but have eternal life. Some other items to, to also just briefly address is that God is, in being true, He is true in all of His power. He is true in all of, the, of, of His wisdom. He is true in all of His goodness and His knowledge. You could say that no edges of this reality are sanded off of God. God is perfectly true in all His ways, in everything that He does. One of the, thing, one of the things that I used to do when I was in college, I used to, or in high school, I used to ride my, my four-wheeler to this vista and in this area where I went was in the Allegheny National Forest. And I would ride up there sometimes with one of my friends, and we would just sit there underneath the, the night sky. And it was just so fascinating. At the time, I was not a Christian. But I, you know, I realized that there was a God who created all of these things that I was looking at. It was fun to, to see the satellites at times, um, skim across the sky, but just as I peered into the, just the, the abyss of the universe, as I reflect on that now, and I do, do it now, it, it really automatically turns my heart and mind to just the, the power, the wisdom, and the majesty of God. Just how He, how he, put, he set forth all of these ways according to His will, and 
as we're experiencing now that the season of you know fall has passed and winter in this portion of of the world is is seemingly here with the snow on the ground but god holds all of these things according to its time he has set the the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night in his sovereignty and his power he governs all of the forces of physics and all of the things that you don't even see with your eye, he, he cares to oversee. This is the faithful God who is true. Now just think about these, these gods that, that many who have fashioned, even fashioned from a piece of wood that God himself has created, and they bow down to it and say that it is their, their God. This is the corruption of sin. The corruption of sin to seek after their own gods and really seek after self-worship, worship their, their own self according to their own God that they have fashioned self. But our faithful God is true. God is perfect in all areas. He is the essence of truth. And secondly, as we look at our faithful God is true, is that His words are true. John 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is a common passage. I'm sure it is very familiar to you. But this is another important truth because salvation comes by way of His truth and God works in us or sanctifies us by way of this truth, His Word. And if He was not true, His Word would not be true, and our salvation and sanctification would mean nothing. But that is not true. Titus 1, verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. So God and His Word, this God who is true, and His Word is truth, He cannot lie. There's some that say, say that, that God can do anything. He can't do anything. He can't deny Himself. He can't sin. And certainly, God cannot lie. And one, one important thing to, to note if you are in Titus, if you look at the context of this passage, is it's in the context of being chosen by God, and it communicates the idea of hope. And hope would not be certain if God were not true, and true to His Word, and His Word being true. But this hope of eternal life, this certain the certainty of eternal life comes by one, by this God who does not lie, but speaks the truth. Psalm 12, verse 6 says, The Lord, the, the, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. So these words of God are not only true. He does not lie. They are pure. And one thing to note is the contrast that this provides in, in this psalm. If you're in Psalm 12, look at verse verses 1 through 2. Verse 2 speaks of the, this falsehood that is spoken by the sons of men. But also the, these flattering lips. And so you're starting to see the contrast here. The sons of men compared to the words of God, which are pure. So these sons of men communicated here in the psalm speak falsehood. These have flattering lips. They have a double heart. And then verse 4 says, quotes in a way, what these sons of men say in their hearts. Who have said with our tongue, we will prevail? Our lips are our own 
Who is Lord over us? This is the wickedness of these sons of men who speak falsehood, who flatter with their lips, who have a double heart, and who would so unwisely say, Our lips are ours. Who is Lord over us? Well, certainly, as you know, and hopefully confirm in your heart and your mind that God is Lord of all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, even to those who rebel against Him. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So his, God's words do not lie, they are pure, but they are proven true. Or said, said here in this proverb from Agor, reflecting in his humility, that every word of God is tested. It is proven true. And one, one thing to note here is that this true God, he is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. God is a shield. This ought to draw in your minds something that is very illustrative. He is the protector. He is the refuge. Trust in Him and His Word. And one other thing to note is, just connecting in what Psalm 12, verse 6 says, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, the same word is used, although it was translated and is said in a different way. Psalm 12, verse 6, as a reminder, says, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth. And then Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is tested. It's unmixed. It's refined. You could say that the word of God is, is the finest truth. 2 Samuel 7, verse 28 says, Now, O Lord God, You are God, and Your words are truth, and You have promised this good thing to Your servant. So God's word is true, it is pure, it is proven true, and here it is, here it is, this communicates or ought to say to you that His word is the final standard of truth. I'll read it again, 2 Samuel 7, verse 28. Now, O Lord, God, You are God. Your words are truth, and You have promised this good thing to Your servant. If you know the context here of 2 Samuel, you may not, but this is in the context of when the prophet Nathan has come to, or was sent by God to, to, to David to present to David the, the covenant the Davidic covenant to him. And David concludes here in reflecting on this, that your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Our faithful God is perfect in all areas, and the truth is the final, and his truth is the final standard. So before we move on to the, the second point, what are our response be to all of this? First, it ought to draw our minds to think more, less of ourself, more about who God is. Thinking and reflecting on God being true and His Word being true. And reminding yourself you know, in the midst of life, that God works in the most, sometimes in the most, what seems like the most mysterious ways. Ways that we do not understand. Ways that are very difficult. God still works. And He cares to work. And just remind yourself that He is a shield for those who take refuge in Him. And a second response is to renew our minds with God's truth, always reminding ourselves, and in a way, 
preaching the truth to yourself. There's all sorts of things that bombard you on a daily basis to convince you to think more about yourself and less about God. When in fact, we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and reminding ourselves of who God is, who Christ is, what God has purposed for us in Christ and how He works through Christ, by His Word, in the Spirit of God. And one final thing I will say is that our one response is that we ought to or be motivated by the fact that if God is true and His Word is truth, that we ought to love the truth and hate falsehood. And certainly this must come with a, a balanced response. Not in, a, not in a wicked way, but in a, in a righteous way. And this love for truth and this hate for falsehood ought to, in a way, a dynamic of this, ought to result in a demand for true justice and righteousness. And that reminds us that, secondly, that God is just, and that God is righteous. At this time in this society, as God has set forth, justice perks the ears of society today, yet the only desire for them, for many, is for their ears to be tickled by what is culturally acceptable, yet The essence of justice and righteousness is God. He is the one who has set the course for justice and righteousness. Just a brief word about these these terms that are communicated both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in Greek. The word justice and righteousness is the same word. We will not go into any depth, but just, just to mention that. So, depending on the contextual use of the word will depend on how it is translated, but that's why I mention it as, as really as one, justice and righteousness. And it could be simply stated that God is the measure of the standard of what is right. So further, with God being just and, and righteous, God is always just. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. The context of this verse is the Song of Moses, where Moses is is lifting up his, his heart and his mind and and praise to God, and he is reflecting on God's faithfulness, and he says also that he is without injustice. And he is righteous and upright as he. God is always just. God's justice, his righteousness is timeless. It is set in stone, it, always, it is always true. It never changes. It's unceasing. It can always be relied upon, never wavering, always true. There is never a moment when God's, when God Himself in His Word is not just. And praise the Lord for that. So God is always just, and He is, secondly, always righteous. Psalm 19, verse 8. We're going to spend some time here in in Psalm 19, so if you want to turn there and look at that. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
So all of who God is and His Word is, is right. He is the standard of what is right. And here in Psalm 19, which for most of you may be familiar to you, it's a reflection on the Word of God and really the benefits that come from it. So let's examine this psalm a little bit further. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It rise, its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So God, God's righteous testimony, His word that is always right and true, testifies, gives a brief testimony of His creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Some of you probably can recall the, the beautiful sunsets that you see here, and they can just bring one to complete awe. Also, as I mentioned, peering into the night sky, seeing the galaxies, at least in short measure, these declare the glory of God. But one unfortunate thing that really ought to grieve your heart and mind is how many who are blind, they see this glory of God and they respond and say, let's give thanks to the earth and give praise to the universe. This is the God that many turn to worship. They worship the earth. They worship the God, the tree gods. They worship the gods of the sea. They worship the gods of all sorts of things. Many, they, they seek and really strive to really find and worship. But in their blindness, in their deception of sin, they can only give glory to their own idolatry. Worshiping the creation over the Creator. Let's move on. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What a blessing it is that God has given us His, His true Word to give testimony to His creation. But also to point out here for you is that it restores the soul. And it makes wise the simple. So it brings to restoration of a broken heart. Some that find themselves to be lonely. And ultimately, those who find themselves in worshiping these false gods, separated from God for eternity, that they can find eternal restoration of their soul through Christ and Christ alone, communicated in His Word. And God would care to dispense His, His wisdom and make wise the simple. So this right testimony of His creation restores His soul. And then in verse 8, it continues on here, and it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
So this ought to, to bring joy to your heart. It is probably, you have probably experienced at times where it is hard to remember God's truth, especially in, in great difficulty. I mean, certainly in, in great times of, of blessing and provision from the Lord, it's easy to give thanks to Him, but you may recall in your own life the difficulty that it takes to turn and give thanks to God even in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial and tribulation, in the midst of something that is very trying to your spirit and your heart and your mind. Because in the midst of these could-be depressing times, these uh, tempted with uh, deception, that your mind is clouded with what feels right instead of what is right. But we can turn to God's Word, and our heart can, our whole being can be brought to rejoice. You ought to rejoice our heart. His Word ought to enlighten our eyes. Verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And there another testimony that His, his Word, His judgments, as it says here, are true. They are righteous altogether. It's all-encompassing. Verse 10 goes on and says, They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. God's, God's truth, which is right, the standard of what is right, ought to be to you more desirable than gold. This word that is rejoices your heart, that restores the soul, ought to be your greatest desire. Verse 11, Moreover, by them your heart, your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So God's word not only restores the soul, but here it, it brings great reward, but also it warns us. What does it warn us of? It warns us of transgression, of sin, of foolishness, of falling into a pattern of life that is contrary to what God expects. Verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. So said here, more specifically, that the Word of God, which is true, which is righteous, it restores the soul, is more desirable than gold, it brings great reward, and it warns us. It also addresses the sin problem in all of us. Even those that are presumptuous sins, sins that you don't even know about, that God can bring to your mind. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And so all of this, all of these things, where God's words gives testimony of His creation, it restores the soul, it rejoices the heart, it is true, is more desirable than gold, it brings great reward. It warns us. It addresses the sin problem. And finally, here, it ought to be a motivation for obedience to you. That as you read His Word and His truth, and even reflect today, it ought to, ought to turn your mind and reflection upon His truth and who He is and motivate you for obedience for His sake and His glory. 
So our Father, our God, our faithful God, acts according to what is right. He is the standard of what is right, and His Word is the standard of what is right and what is true. So our response. Our response today, first, is that God is right to bear witness about Him. God's Word is right to bear witness about Him and life in this world. Said in another way, we ought to find ourselves in the study of God's Word to know who God is and have eternal life, but know how to think about the things that go on in this world and how we ought to live in obedience to Him. The God who is true and just may only be the sure source of peace. So this God who is true, this God, this our faithful God who is true, who is righteous, who is just, brings us to our the, the, the final reflection in that our faithful God is the God of peace. God is the only source of peace. He is the only one that can bring true order and tranquility. He is characterized by order. He is characterized by tranquility. He is characterized by what is sound. True peace only comes by way of God. Jeremiah 6.14 says and warns us of false peace. It says, They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. What is this talking about? If you want to turn to Jeremiah 6, you can later today, but... I'll just say very briefly here that Jeremiah addresses the false prophets who are falsely proclaiming a peace. But then, what what does it say here? There is no peace. There is no peace for for a, a wicked nation who set out, set its course in rebellion against God to disobey His Word. And here you have false prophets in this time of Jeremiah who were propagating error, communicating a false sense of peace. He continues on in Jeremiah 14, verses 13 through 14. says, But ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine. But I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. So these false, this false peace that we ought to be warned about was certainly existing in the time of, of Jeremiah and it exists today. False prophets today propagate this these false sense of peace and they erroneously proclaim or claim that they are speaking on behalf of God, saying, God told me. But what is the way of true peace? So we were warned of false peace. The way of true peace. And I'm just going to read 
several passages that communicate this reality. Psalm 29, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Romans 8, verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Her ways are pleasant. Proverbs 3, verse 17. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. One commentator said that peace and tranquility is the ultimate expression of sound and fulfilled existence in accordance with the intention of God's will. Peace and tranquility is the ultimate expression of sound and fulfilled existence in in accordance with the intended will of the Lord. Only the faithful, only this faithful God, our faithful God, is the one who is true and just and can be the only source of peace. So, a couple responses as we work towards conclusion. Knowing that God is true, knowing that He is the one who is the standard of what is right, He is just, He is righteous. He is the God of peace. One thing to note is that the wicked do not have peace. The turmoil in the hearts and minds of individuals, those who are seeking to find fulfillment in this world, gathering together possessions, marching the streets for justice, Many of them, if not most of them, have no peace. And they will have not peace. Because they have not repented of their sins and trusted in what Christ has done on their behalf. There is turmoil. There is unrest in their own hearts. And they're expressing that unrest. They murder people. They steal, they destroy, they are consumed with self and propelled by vain pursuits. They are alienated from God and they are without Christ in this world. And scripture is very clear that they have no hope. The wicked have no peace. But, The righteous have divine peace. Those who are convinced of who God is and the need for true peace through what Christ has provided find true rest, find true tranquility as what was stated earlier. A sound and fulfilled existence is found only through Christ and Christ alone. So it is a must. It is a must that we think rightly about who God is in all portions of life, even today, that God is true, He is just, and He is righteous, and He is the God of peace. Yet, as I conclude, one thing that, a testimony that we can learn from is the testimony from the life of Job. 
If you do an extensive study of this, you will find these themes of truth, of justice, of righteousness, and of peace in Job. And I will mention this, and just recall to your mind, here you have a righteous man who had set forth to be righteous, and God had richly blessed him. But God brought forth one of the, one of the greatest trials anyone probably has, has experienced in the history of man, where all had, you know, Yahweh or God himself assailed him greatly, stripped him of, of every earthly possession, and in his mind, his, in, in some cases, what he was thinking of his existence, of what he thought was, was true. And there you have the, the wonderful, wise counselors of his friends trying to, attempting to, to speak wisdom to him and communicating uh, falsely and, and falsely saying that although that they, a lot of the things they said were true, the basis on which what they said were false. These things they said that Job was experiencing, that God assailed him because of he was in sin. God was bringing this, this great trial and tribulation in his life because he was in sin. He had sinned against God, therefore God has taken away everything, and God will not give anything back to him until he repents. But in closing, turn to Job, and we are going to look at a few verses. So in this, in this great difficulty, it culminates in the towards the, the, the end of Job, where if you if you recall that there's a, a litany of confrontation that, that that God confronts Job with. So if you if in your familiarity with, with Job he was a man who was, who was living uprightly. He was one who was convinced of God's word, but yet he wavered because of unwise counsel. There are a lot of affirmations that, that Job made, but he, he wavered. In his unwavering, God confronted him with these realities. I'm going to read two portions of Scripture in this confrontation. Job 38, verses 12 through 15. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. And then Job 39, 26-30. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the cliff he dwells and lodges, upon the rocky crag, an inaccessible place. From there he spies out food, his eyes see it from afar, his young ones also suck up blood. And where the slain are, there is he. So that's just a brief portion of, of what happened in this in this account. And certainly, you know, living this life, we can find ourselves in a place not necessarily in the exact circumstances, Job, but we can forget uh, who God is in the midst of all of these distractions in this world. And as was my purpose today in, in our re reflection upon God, this is exactly where God drove Job to, was God himself, showing that that, that He is true. He is the one who is just and righteous. And He is the God of peace. He is the one who has set all of these things 
its course and hold them along its course. And then Job finds himself in Job 42, verses 1 through 6, saying, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of our of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Praise the Lord. And may God give you the purpose today and in the midst of life and in the midst of a life that He has given you to be resolved to reflect on who God is and who He is true, He is just, He is right, righteous, and He is the God of peace. We pray. Lord, thank You for today and Your kindness and grace. Thank You that You have given Your Word to us that we can know who You are. In our foolishness at times, Lord, we can think that we have full knowledge when in fact our minds our minds are very feeble yes you have designed them very intricately and you have given us a mind to um, process decisions make decisions understand truths understand what is what is true understand what is what is false but none of that compares to your knowledge, your power, O oh God. Lord, may we think rightly about you and as we reflect on your, have reflected on your truth today and who you are, O oh Lord. May our hearts be found challenged today, enlightened today, encouraged and striving that we can find ourselves striving to be faithful for your cause. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, how you remain steady and sure, even in the midst of a world that we think is, is falling apart. You remain steadfast and true, and we can find refuge in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.